All right, everybody, it is Nar, and I am back with season two of the Amazing Humans Being Show. And I'm very happy to have my friend, Ms. Nikita Pope, to uh, launch season two. How are you, Nikita? I'm pretty good and very excited and honored to be helping to launch your second season. It only took two years to get to season two. Only, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But hey, okay, for a little introduction, Nikita is a black transsexual woman residing in Atlanta, Georgia. She is a recent graduate of Morehouse College and she became the first institutionally documented transsexual female to graduate from Morehouse College in the school's 150 plus years. She is also the first time female student on the student record since the 1930s. Nikita is preparing for a career in radio, interior decorating and law, and hopes to be a wife and a mommy someday. Welcome, Nikita. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Most importantly, though, you're my friend. Absolutely. We, we, I can actually say we go back now. <laughs> <laughs> that we do. That we do. We, we talked a little bit about that on uh, the last episode that you were on. Yes. Yes, it's been, I don't, how long has it been? Maybe, um, was it 2013? I believe so. I'm horrible, yeah. horrible at numbers. It's been quite a while. It has, and you're one of the few people who has actually seen my whole transition, so. Yep. There's some intimate history there. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember the first day I met you. Uh, (laughs) Brandon and I decided to go down to Charleston, which is a normal thing for us when I visit. Yeah. And he goes, oh, my friend is going to be there. I'll I'll introduce you. That was fun. That was was fun. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know what to think of you at first. I was like, it was, you just seemed like this very nice man and just very kind, but I couldn't figure you, figure you out. You were kind of mysterious. I so, like you know. that. <laughs> I like, I'm an enigma and I take pride in that. Yeah. So it took and, me a minute to, to really get acclimated, but you know. Yeah, it was visible. Plus I'm very intuitive. I'm an Enneagram 2 uh, oh, yeah, I'm so, a three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm a two with a three wing. Okay. So I, I'm very intuitive, very empathetic. I picked up on the uh, the discomfort, if that's it's if that's a decent <laughs> word to it's it. Very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, me being a preacher and a pastor, I'm sure did not help the matter. No, no, I was very traumatized from church and and all of that uh without going down that trail but yeah i mean you were a pleasant surprise though because you uh i mean honestly i think you are the the description of not judging a book by its cover <laughs> like you mm. know you you the the face for that um and it was a pleasant surprise because i got something i wasn't expecting you know sadly i think that uh not what you experienced but people not getting a pleasant surprise is too indicative of evangelical Christianity right now. Yes. It's very predictable um, and not in a healthy way. Yeah. But we know a lot of people that are trying to change that. They're not out on a mission to change the perception of Christianity. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're just being themselves. Exactly. I'm fortunate enough to know so many people that just don't fit that description of judgmental Christians and that type of thing. So Isn't that a blessing though? I mean, because you run into so many, and I think honestly, I'm convinced at this point, people who seem to have a need to judge others haven't quite done their shadow work and they haven't dealt with themselves. Either that or they can't accept themselves. So they feel this compulsion to judge other people, whether they're aware of that or not. I I will give enough grace to guess that they're not aware of it. They definitely, if you do your shadow work, which is not just a one-time thing. No, no. uh, It's an onion that you peel back layers and layers and layers. (laughs) The last six months for me has been 
darkness and shadow work. I can relate. (laughs) (laughs) I think it has been for a lot of people, though. There's been something about this whole quarantine 2020 that has, I think, caused people to have to sit with themselves in a way that they haven't had to before or that they haven't had to in years, at least. And it's been almost like this divine pause, if you will, to say, okay, let's look at ourselves, let's reassess and try to become better people. Mm -hmm. You know, It's almost as if a lot of our distractions were taken away from us. Mm -hmm. A lot of our coping mechanisms were removed. Absolutely. I'm seeing this period of time, this COVID pandemic, as a time of breaking down, mm-hmm. a time of initiation, a time which allows us to do our inner work, as difficult as that may be. It's an invitation to initiation. Whether we accept that invitation or whether we stay on Netflix for 13 hours a day, <laughs> that's up to us, you know. It is. I agree with you. I mean, 100%. I think this year has been, um, I I think it's been interesting as well, because a lot of people who are, you know, very spiritually attuned noticed how even the earth and wildlife seemed to begin to heal itself Mm. and reemerge as a result of the lessened activity. And I think there was a lesson in that, that when we sit still, we can heal. Not to rhyme, I didn't mean to mm. mean to do that, but when we <laughs> since it's out there now. Come on. We, come come on. on, somebody. Come on, church. When we sit still, <laughs> we can heal. And but no, in all seriousness. And then on top of that, I, there was just so many um I don't know, you had the the pause and some of the the healing taking place outside and, and internally, alongside great strife you know, with so much of the racial tension that's been going on. And it's been interesting to watch how, for example, with the uh, murder of George Floyd, how it was a domino effect Mm. um, that led to so many other truly, in my opinion, historic things to kick off this new decade. You know, you had streets being named Black Lives Matter. You had laws being uh, created in the name of black women, um, you, you know, for their for the protection of, of black folks. And I mean, it's just been amazing to watch how many historic things have happened alongside this divine pause. There's so much that happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. I remember that same day when I saw George Floyd murdered, the outrage and the anger and the 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 disbelief that I felt, you know me, I'm very white appearing, mm-hmm. white presenting, but I'm half Mexican. I'm also right. indigenous, but my life as a whole has been one of a white man right. within a society that was structured to benefit the white person. Mm-hmm. A lot of my white friends won't agree with that. Me, although being mixed, I couldn't even begin to understand how this could affect what emotions, what trauma this could do to the Black community. Yeah. I'm considered an ally, but I'm also removed. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't feel what the Black community is feeling. Right. I try to understand. I don't know, as far as you speaking about your experience of indigenous ancestry, and you also said that you're, you know, part Mexican, and that that brings up for me this subject of, uh, you know, ethnicity, race being specious, and that it appears to be something that it may not exactly be. And so you having the ancestry that you do, but having the lived experience in many ways of a white man it just, it, it, you know, I think it brings up an interesting point about how sometimes our lived experience is dictated by how we appear to be externally. Beyond that, getting to the point of 
how it's affected myself as a Black person. When George Floyd died, I'm going to be honest, I had so many different feelings. One of the feelings was grief. You know, I cried because in my mind, I thought this is somebody's son. This is somebody's father. This is somebody's lover. And so I made it very personal. And I'm thinking his daughter is probably at home or something and, you know, excited to see her dad that evening and he's not coming home. Just looking at it on that level and really bringing the humanity into it, I cried, uh, not just because it was another Black man who had been senselessly murdered, but like I said, because that was somebody's dad, that, you know, that was somebody's son who's now not coming home. He's not going to make it to another family reunion. He's not going to make it to another cookout. He's not going to see his coworkers anymore. Nothing. You know, all the people that, that he had meaning to in this life. But the other part of it was, you know, I guess when it comes down to the, the murdering of Black lives, a lot of times what we have seen is that you'll hear about a lot of these Black, cisgender, heterosexual men who are senselessly murdered. But then when it comes to our Black sisters or our Black trans sisters or our Black trans brothers, you don't hear as much about them. And many of them have also suffered at the hands of the police and had their lives taken, but their stories are still so hidden. And so I I was so conflicted because on one hand, like I said, I was very sad about his passing, but on the other hand, I couldn't help but think about so many other members of the black community who have also suffered very similar deaths at the hands of the police or even brutality at the hands of the police And we know nothing about them, probably couldn't even say their names if we had to. I just thought about this. And and so as a Black person, it's been, it's been this um, weird experience with grieving, but then also trying to find ways to uplift the stories of those who often go unnoticed. A lot of the pushback that I've been hearing from people I know or on Facebook or whatever, it can be summed up by saying, I refuse to be shamed over my whiteness. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I do not carry white shame. Right. I do understand that I have an amount of privilege. Mm-hmm. And that gives me some responsibility. And so I try to use that responsibility responsibly. It's very simple. So many white people are enraged, and most of the people I see are Christians. Unfortunately, yeah. You know, that's <laughs> that's been my background for 50 years, and those are most of the people I know. Mm-hmm. And this, they're raging against, it's not our fault. I don't have people who were enslaved. And a lot of them are saying, I'm poor. I don't have privilege. But that's not true. <laughs> it's, not, it's not true. It's not, it's and not I, true. <laughs> I hate to go on this soapbox again, but I, I was thinking about this the other day. And I think part of what white privileged folk are having to come to grips with is that their ancestors left them a legacy of, well, just to put it frankly, mess. (laughs) They left them a legacy of pain. They left them a legacy of racism. They left them a legacy of racialized brutality. And so they they are faced with the enormous task of having to rectify these wrongs in the modern day, uh, whether it be through policy, whether it be through the the restructuring of attitudes and behaviors and whatever it might be, they're faced now with having to deal with this, this very complicated, very racist and unjust legacy. And I think this is why we have to, we have to conduct ourselves in such a way that we can say to ourselves when it's our time to leave this earth, that I am okay handing down this legacy to the next generation because it's a legacy that's going that's something they can be proud of and not have to apologize for and fix later 
And mm-hmm. I think that that's part of the, the frustration that they're having to deal with, but they still have to deal with it. It's because they, they were handed a very large mess that has become more tangled and more complex as the years have gone by. It's just my, my two cents, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to uh, figure out how some of these people that I will say are good people, mm-hmm. people that I've known for decades. I had a have one certain friend who posted this very inflammatory post and I can't believe this. I can't believe that. Da, 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 da. And I started to respond on Facebook and I'm like, nope, took it down. Day later, started to respond. Nope, not finishing that. <laughs> this is a conversation we need to have in person. Mm-hmm. You know, not on a Facebook wall. It seems like so many people, so many of us, I think we all get triggered and defensive when something that is not our identity but something that has been a thought pattern mm-hmm. is challenged but right. you know something in our past like i go to who who was it it was i was going to say jesus but i think it was paul <laughs> right now i don't know when i was a child i thought as a child yes I did things like a child, you know, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Yeah. And that's how I'm, I'm seeing so many people. Um, They're still stuck in those childish things and thoughts that they're not growing up. Honestly, I see society, I see our culture as waking up and as growing up. And it is, what do they call them? Growing pains? Yeah. You know, I understand why they're triggered. I just want them to think about it. Why does this trigger me? You know, someone says I have white privilege. Why does this trigger me if it does? They take it personally. I think they internalize that as, I don't know, they they internalize it and they make it personal when really they have to understand that privilege in and of itself is not necessarily a pathology, but it is a responsibility. Yeah. And using, leveraging that responsibility to help to right that which is wrong instead of internalizing it and making it into some type of pathology. And I think there has to be a a very definitive shift in how they're perceiving white privilege and as well as what they're using it for. And so I think it becomes too personal, but I, you know, I'm of the, um, of the, the attitude that I'm, I don't necessarily feel bad for white people. I don't feel, I don't apologize or try to, you know, pat them on the back and be like, it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not into that. You know, I think, you know, <laughs> you have this privilege. Okay. And so many people have spent enough years being marginalized and mistreated because of that privilege being abused. And so it's time for you to buck up and, and do what you need to do to help right these wrongs. So I'm not in the habit of feeling bad for white people, but I can, like yourself, understand perhaps why they're, they're being so upset by this idea of having privilege. But at the same time, I still hold them accountable to do what they know they need to do to the best of their ability, you know? Well, we didn't discuss talking about that. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but it's, re- it's relevant, you know. But Nikita, I, I know for me, this time period has been one of, it is initiation. Mm-hmm. Or as some shamans will call it, dismemberment, where we are taken apart mm. only to be put back together with those things that give us life, with those things that are healthy for ourselves and for others. And this is the time period we're in. Right. And I'm, I'm really, 
really, really hoping that we will allow ourselves not to be distracted, especially by early openings of different states. Today was the highest, or yesterday was the the highest amount of COVID infections recorded in a day. You know, mm. it's, it's, well, I'm not going to get into COVID-19. <laughs> yes. uh, but Miss Rona. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm but, so uh, sick of her. I am too. She needs to go home. Yeah. May we take this time of initiation. May we accept it, not fight it. I think it's inviting us to return to balance. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that we will utilize this time for our healing in growing in balance, in changing the way we live, because it's not going back to normal. No. We get to create a new normal. Yeah. And I think people need to realize some of the, I think some of the frustration that's happening is you have folks who are pushing against, not to go biblical, but the Bible talks about it's hard to kick against the goads. You know, when there are boundaries set in place, and we're trying to kick against that, it hurts. It yeah. makes the experience more frustrating. It's hard to kick against the goads. And so I think what, we're real, what we are coming to the realization of in this new decade is there has been a new boundary line set in place and it's time to create a new type of functionality. And I think there are people that are so badly wanting to go back to what they perceived as normal when in fact that normal was dysfunction. It was, it was literally dis, it was dis-ease, you know? And so we're having to get used to this new boundary, but you have people who are learning the very hard lesson of what happens when you kick against the goat. Now, for those people that are unfamiliar with the word goads, that sounds like it came from a King James Version, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which we both initially uh, probably memorized. But there's uh, another way of saying that it's hard to kick against the pricks. Yes. Can you imagine a prickly thorned item and you kicking that with your bare foot? Yeah. It's going to hurt like hell. Exactly. And, And it is. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's a better way of putting it exactly. So until we accept the fact that we have to adjust to this new normal, and and I'm not, I don't even I hate the word new normal until we until we realize that we're having to correct dysfunction instead of go back to it. I think there's there's going to be a lot of frustration for some people. For many of us. Yes. None of us are exempt from that. Mm-hmm. I think you opened up a good transition there with the word new. <laughs> Some new things in your life. And one of those new things is your new name. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. For years, I've gone by the nickname Storm, and I still do. But, you know, I think the last time I was a part of your podcast, I was using the name Tatiana. Anybody who's kind of followed my name changes at this point probably has been very confused in the process. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. I explain it to people this way. When you are trans, it is such a spiritual and empowering experience because you're literally getting to create yourself. And it's almost like you're getting a chance to reach back in time and readjust those things that did not reflect you accurately so that you can now have an accurate reflection of who you are. And so I see it as, You know, like when you're trying to choose a name for uh, a baby that's on the way, you may go through 15 or 20 names before you finally land on a name that just feels right. And so it was the same process for me. Honestly, when I was going by the name Tatiana, I thought it was a pretty name. I thought it sounded very feminine and all of that, but it was really a rash decision. (laughs) Um, I just really wanted to get rid of my dead name and like really badly so I just was like okay what's something I can think of that's cute that's you know whatever 
and just slap it on a piece of paper and call it a day. Um, and so <laughs> that was Tatiana for me. But the next year passed by. I'll tell you exactly how this new name came about. I was doing a history assignment for school. The name Nikita popped up uh, during my history assignment. Now, I, I don't support um, <laughs> Nikita Khrushchev, but <laughs> so I want to I be very clear about that. That was the only other Nikita I could think of. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to confuse anyone. I don't support that historical figure, but that when I heard the name, something jumped in me mm. and it was just like, this is it. This is your name. And of course, you know, being that I really am, um, I try to be very intentional and have a good understanding of anything that I do. So when that name seemed to resonate with me, I looked up the meaning and it means victor, you know, like victory. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is, this is it. And I can understand why this resonated with me because I've had so many battles in my life where I felt like I did lose. I, I felt like I did lose. So I'm going to see myself as a woman of victory. And then, so after that, of course, I chose a different middle name, which was Anastasia. I seem to have a thing with Russian names, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Anastasia means resurrection. Oh, and I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't either. Yeah. So the fact that it was like, my first name means victory. My second name means resurrection. I'm like, whoa, this is sounding biblical. <laughs> 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 but no, no. Um, <laughs> and it just, <laughs> I was like, well, I guess it's time to pull out the organ and start shouting. But no. And it just really seemed to, to suggest this narrative about my life that I want. I want to be a woman who is victorious and who has experienced a resurrection from so many things in my life that have tried to take me completely out. So, and then Pope, of course, um, <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> this. So a lot of people, when they hear the last name Pope, of course, these days, thanks to Kerry Washington and Shonda Rhimes, they think of scandal. And I'm going to be honest, that is where I derived my last name from was Olivia Pope. I did. I used to watch Scandal when it very first, you know, became popular and, and they created this, this uh, series. And, you know, before Kerry Washington played that role of Olivia Pope, I had not really seen a lot of Black women in powerful roles on television like that. You know, I mean, I had, I had often seen them as mothers, not to say that a mother is not a powerful role. In my opinion, it's one of the most powerful roles you can have. But I had never seen Black women on TV really outside the home, you know, or a domestic kind of, of scenery. There have been a few, but not, not very many. And so seeing Olivia Pope, it was like, wow. <laughs> she is this very powerful woman in DC. She makes shit happen. She is a badass. Mm -hmm. She's mm -hmm. gorgeous. I'm like, and she's smart as hell, you know? And so it was just inspiring. And so I used to watch her, you know, long before my transition to female, I used to watch her and I would just, I was enamored with her character. That character is actually part of what inspired me to aim high in my academics during college, to see a reflection of myself on television. Because even though I hadn't transitioned yet, I do believe I always knew I was a woman. So to see a reflection of myself in, you know, in her did something for me. Pope is definitely attached to her. And I think it's very ironic that part of my career does involve law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know. Tell me about the law interest. So that does predate Olivia Pope. <laughs> that, <laughs> um, that did not start with her. I started taking an interest in law when I was about maybe 12 years old. My father had been a police officer for several years, you know, before I turned 12. So, you know, I guess there's some history of that in my family, but as far as personal interest goes, when I was about 12, I actually, I took a very strong interest in Law and Order. I'm like, I don't know what child. The movie series? Uh, yeah, like Law and, Law and Order SVU, yeah. Yep. 
I would, at 12 years old, 13 years old, I would just watch it on TV. Didn't really know what was going on, but would watch it on TV. And I don't know, it just struck an interest in me. And, and so that probably started around my early teenage years and just kind of grew. I've never really known why that interest was put there, but you know, to fast forward to today, as of right now, part of my plan is to become an attorney. And specifically, you know, I plan to practice constitutional law. And what I would like to do is to be able to help defend the rights, protections, and privileges of Black and Brown trans folk. And so that's kind of my mission. The law piece started a long time ago. It's probably a simple answer, but why specifically the Black and Brown folk? I would say when it comes to Black and Brown people in general, especially in, in our legal system, we face so much discrimination. Some of it is intentional. Some of it might be unintentional. We experience discrimination in very covert and overt ways in our legal system, even down to things like employment. And although that affects, I guess, all, that, can, that can be an area where all trans people are affected. When you're a person of color, you already have that strike against you. When you're black or brown, you already have that strike against you of the color of your skin on top of having the hurdle of being trans. And so when I think about the discrimination that black and brown trans people have faced in housing or employment or education, there's not often many people out there who look like us, who are in positions of power, such as judges or attorneys or politicians who can help us. Personally, I really don't know. I may maybe know one black trans female attorney, maybe two. That's about it. I don't know very many Black trans female attorneys. And I just thought to myself, how powerful would it be if there is this young, scared, forcibly marginalized Black trans woman who is facing some type of discrimination that affects her rights and her privileges as a citizen of this country, and to be able to have a Black trans female attorney who looks like her, who understands her experience, to represent her in court and win. That would be a powerful thing. Yes. To shift this narrative. Because oftentimes, you know, as black and brown trans people, we have to look to people who don't look like us, who don't understand our lived experience for help. And so it kind of like creates like this idea of like, we need people who don't look like us to be this savior for us. And I want to help to shift that narrative. That yeah. you know what, we can, we can save ourselves. <laughs> yep, that is beautiful. Oddly enough, I actually don't want to be an attorney. But I don't know if you've ever felt like the universe is leading you to do something that you may not necessarily want to do, but for some reason you're feeling, this is something I've got to do. I don't understand it right now, but I've got to do it. And that's how it is for me. I don't personally want to be an attorney but there seems to be this deeper sense of calling that is driving me towards it. For what reason exactly, I don't know. I mean, I know that I've been given a mission, but what all the fruit of it will be, I don't know. Well, we've both been around long enough to know that, and not to get biblical, the word is a lamp to our feet. Yes, yeah. It's not a spotlight. Our calling is not a spotlight where we see everything clearly. <laughs> it sure uh, is. I wish it were. <laughs> I, I've always wanted it to be. Yeah. A to B to C to D. Oh, God. No. Um, It'd be so easy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We, we have to trust that call. We have to trust ourselves. Yes. To, yeah. to be okay with just enough light to take the next step. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I don't know what I'm learning about faith. And I was talking to uh, someone about this a couple weeks ago is that, like you said, it's, it's not this linear experience. No. For me, faith has been kind of like a zigzag. And it takes me here, takes me there, then takes me back up here. And I'm like, what in the whole entire F is going on? You know, and it's not until you get to the end of whatever journey it was that you started that you realize, oh, okay, that's why. Because even when you look at a roadmap, 
although we don't use those these days, but when, <laughs> when you look at a roadmap and it's taking you to a destination, even it has curves and zigzags along the way, but it still gets you there. Yep. And so it's the, it's the same thing. And so, you know, I even look at my experience at Morehouse College. I didn't care about going to Morehouse College. I was previously attending West Virginia State University studying political science and sitting in the library one day, something hit me and was like, apply to Morehouse. I didn't care to go. I was perfectly happy where I was. But now looking back, it was, you know, because for whatever reason, I was supposed to be a part of making history at that school. But now that I'm done, I, I see that and I understand that. But when I got the directive to go, it didn't make sense. I remember when I heard you decided to go to Morehouse and I'm thinking, uh, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. uh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then uh, witnessing the different uh, struggles and, and experiences that you had there, you stuck it out. Yeah. Now Don't you, ask me how, but I did. <laughs> well, it, it was already within you. It, it's right. always been within you. You said the word scared um, mm -hmm. a few minutes ago. How do you deal with fear? Well, not well. <laughs> let's, let's get that out. Let's get that out there. Not well. I don't know. You know, as far as how I deal with how I try to deal with fear now is I you just got to do it. Like there's there's I wish there was some deep philosophical answer I had for that. But you just have to do it afraid. You know, I will never forget when I got to Morehouse and I had the realization you need to transition to womanhood because this is who you've always been. The very first day I showed up on campus presenting as a woman, you know, in full effect. <laughs> and <laughs> I had on this horrible, like cheap wig, <laughs> these really sad makeshift breasts because I didn't have the ones I have now. And, um, <laughs> I, you know, had to, I had on this turquoise dress, which was actually very pretty, by the way had on this turquoise <laughs> dress and these red heels. I mean, I was a sight. And I walked on campus. This was during the fall of 2017. And I was 26, yeah, 26 years old. And I walked on campus and not just on campus, I walked onto a traditionally all male campus mm -hmm. as just in, in full effect as a woman. And I was terribly afraid that very first day I came to campus presenting as the woman that I knew I was, you know, because people were looking, you could hear the comments as I was walking by that were something less than affirming. And I got into one of my classes, one of my sociology classes, because that was my major at Morehouse uh, was sociology, got in there and, and sat down because it took everything in me just to get to class that day as far as courage sat down, sweating bullets, <laughs> and the professor was calling the role. And um, she got to me, and of course, uh, at this point, people were calling me Storm. She got to me and she paused. She said, Storm, you look very nice today. And that was the first kind oh. thing anyone had said to me that day. And so it was the oddest feeling of feeling scared and empowered at the very same time. During that time, in the very beginning days of my transition, I felt seen, but I felt seen in a way I didn't want to be seen as a freak or as something strange, you know. To get back to your question about how I deal with fear, I look at that experience and I just did it. It came to a point where I said, I'm tired of feeling like I'm living in an experience that was not meant for me and I'm going to do this. <sighs> and I did it. I'm glad you did. I am glad you did. Like I mentioned the last podcast, you are a writer, mm -hmm. and I hear you have a new book coming up. Yes, I'm excited about it. It should be out in the next two or three months. Um, I've, you know, had to change the publication date several times, honestly, because of COVID-19 and 
some personal issues that I've been going through emotionally and things of that nature. But it will be coming out in the next two to three months. And it's called Resurgence, the Nikita Pope story. Oh, and uh, wow. so Resurgence is, uh, well, I took, I took the Latin form of the word resurgence. It just means simply to rise again, you know, to, ri- <laughs> to rise. And I got the title for the book because I love to walk outside. Oh my goodness. If you give me a sunny day, and some nice trees, I'm, I'm out there. So <laughs> I was walking in downtown Atlanta on Ponce de Leon Avenue, and I passed this like light pole. I saw this symbol of Atlanta, which is a phoenix, and it said resurgence. And you know, for some who don't know, Atlanta was actually burned to the ground during the late 1800s. It burned down and they rebuilt the city. That's why their symbol is the phoenix. You know, that's where you get this Latin inscription of resurgence. I was like, that's it. That's the title for the book. And ran with it, you know. And so it's taken, of course, from the mythology of the phoenix. I see my story as one of this constant dying and rising again, dying and rising again from the ashes, much like the phoenix, you know. It lives this this really long life and goes through whatever experiences it goes through. And then it literally sets itself on fire in this nest. And from those ashes emerges a new phoenix, a new creature. And I feel like that's what I did with my transition. I set my old self on fire and became someone new. You know, I talk about my life. It's an autobiography. And I just talk about experiences I've, I've had from early childhood up through my graduation from Morehouse. I also speak about what my healing process has been like. Oh, very good. Yes, it'll be published through Kindle Direct Publishing, and it will be available online and in print in the next two or three months. So I'm really excited about it. I'll have to order an autographed copy. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, I'm not joking about it. I have so many. I have a lot of friends that are authors. And, you do, because uh, yeah. I know some of them personally. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I always get an autographed book. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about, but hey. Now, besides the book, there's a documentary you're involved with. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. I'm a part of a trans-centric docu-series called Flux. Some of the people who are helping to produce this documentary are family members of mine. They uh, heard about my transition and my story just through following me on social media. And they contacted me about being a part of this documentary. And I believe the first, maybe one or two times they mentioned it, I actually said no. Um, (laughs) I think if memory serves me right, I I said no, because I hate being on camera. I don't know why, I just, I hate it. But then they approached me again, I want to say at the end of last year, sometime around December 2019, and I said yes. So they have several episodes that are within this docuseries. I'm in episode two, okay. and it hasn't um, come out yet. They just kind of follow my life. They talk about my experience at Morehouse. They talk about what my future plans are and just kind of how my life has been as a Black trans woman. We also talk about things I've went through as a result of um, living through this whole COVID-19 experience. So it really is, is, I think it's going to be very interesting because of the times that we live in, but also because of my lived experiences. I look forward to that. Yeah, I'm excited. So I don't know where it's going to go. It could land on Netflix one day. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) we'll see. I have uh, so many uh, friends in the industry as well. And I don't know how I get to be friends with all the people I do. But uh, mm-hmm. I love it if I'm watching Netflix or whatever. And I, t- I typically don't sit and watch a movie. It's usually in background. You know, I'm doing something else. But yeah. I, I've lost track of how many times I've like, wait, I know that voice. Wake <laughs> up. <laughs> ah. You are well connected. You are well connected. I love it. I love knowing uh, so many different people, so many different types of people. It's a joy for me. I feel like I've had somewhat of the same experience. I know so many different people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. And I just feel honored to know them because I feel like they have made me more well-rounded as a person. And my knowledge base is so much more wider than it would be 
<laughs> if I didn't know them. So, yeah. And it's just a little example of how connected we really are yeah. to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so easy to get to the us and them. And especially right now, it's very easy mm-hmm. to draw the party line to whatever. But it's not me. It's we. The things that I do impact mm-hmm. everybody. The things that you do impacts everybody. Right. And that everybody in my cosmology are not just human beings. That everybody is the kittens that I have now. It is the ocean. It is the waters. It is the earth. And I know you are also very earth-based. I am. I have a lot, and I have a lot of earth in my chart, too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very earthy. And we're in this together whether we like it or not. Absolutely. So God help us to be good and kind. Um, And in saying that, I'm not saying, you know, it's just like the body. If, If something is injured or infected, the body produces something to counteract that, to bring yes, health, to bring back balance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of humans, a lot of us are doing things that are damaging. And Absolutely. so other parts of humanity come to try to counteract that and bring back balance. I don't know if this is going to take us off topic or not. One of the things that I have been trying to focus on this year with everything going on and bringing back some measure of balance to to my personal life, I guess with some things I've been through, it created such a profound sense of bitterness and anger and just pain in general. For years, I became like this very angry person, you know, that it was always right beneath the surface, right beneath that smile right beneath that laugh, it was right there. For me, the task has been to somehow find a way to remain, and I use this word in a positive sense, remain soft, remain gentle, remain kind in a world that would like nothing more than to turn me into this bitter individual who's hardened on the inside. I've really spent a lot of my time this year, although it's been hard not to focus on things going on around me, focusing on myself, you know, because I said to myself, you know, when, when people drink from my well, I don't want this water to be bitter. I want them to encounter, a, I, I want them to encounter a sweet spirit, you know, because I've been through enough to where I could be angry the rest of my life or broken or depressed. But when people encounter me, I want them to feel that softness, that gentleness, that kindness, that sweet water pretty much, you know? It probably took us off topic, but anyway. (laughs) Well, you know me well enough. There's no off topic. (laughs) And the kitties just showed up. Oh, they did? (laughs) I don't know if you know their names. I don't, no. Uh, You will love it. They are rescue kitties. Okay. And uh, they are sisters. So I have two of the five. The black and white tuxedo one is named Pacha. I love it. Pachamama. (laughs) And the gray is uh, named Gaia. Oh, very nice. So, and they're starting to uh, respond to their names. They're adorable, except at 3 a.m. when they want to eat, and I have to get up and get the babies some food. (laughs) Yeah, because cats are nocturnal, aren't they? I think so. The, the, yeah. These ones, at least, you know, they'll wake up in the morning, want their food, want to play. Then they'll uh, go hide somewhere and sleep for a few hours. And then comes lunch, then comes dinner, then comes 3 a.m. snack. <laughs> <laughs> Cats and, or something else. And Pacha is staring at me right now. Yeah, I absolutely love them. Now, I'm the one that took us off track there. Oh, you're good. I love speaking to people who know me mm-hmm. better than just the surface level. Absolutely. And it's my conviction 
that when we heal ourselves, whether that's from trauma or we work to heal our emotions mm -hmm. or our bodies, that spreads healing to others. Yes. We're not just healing ourselves. For many Christians, many religious folk, the idea of loving yourself is anathema. It is. It's, it is narcissistic. Mm -hmm. I hate that my name is part of narcissism. <laughs> <But> <laughs> whether it's overtly taught or whether it's caught, uh -huh. it's there. I'm happy to say over the decades that's lessening as people start to understand the importance and necessity of self-care. Right. But a lot of people can um, get tripped up by focusing on themselves. I remember, it's been a couple years ago, I was going through a rough patch. And one of my friends who is an atheist came up to me. He goes, you need to take care of yourself because we need you functioning healthily. That's mm, true, though. Remember that story of, uh, I think Jesus was on the cross and someone was taunting him. He said he saved others, let him save himself. Mm -hmm. Not too long ago, you know, I had that accident in February, been out of work since then. I was quarantined before there was an official quarantine. And the different struggles, I went through a lot of physical and mental and emotional struggles. I heard, I'm using air quotes, <laughs> I heard in my mind, shaman, heal yourself. Mm. And I'm like, wow. Ah, yes. Yes. That's and powerful. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you spend so much of your time helping to heal others. Yeah. And, you know, learning to use that same power for yourself. Yeah. I have a friend named Craig, who is a shaman that's in the Sudan. Mm -hmm. He reached out to me not long ago and said, now he, we've known each other for mm, three or four years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been very open with him. He doesn't know me as well as some do. So he asked, do you have a tendency to take care of others before you take care of yourself? Mm. Like, yep. And that's right around the time when I heard shaman heal thyself. <laughs> yeah, that's very, <laughs> very ironic. But in, just from knowing you, I know, I know that that was true, that, you know, you focus on, on others, which is not a, a bad thing, but, you know, no, but you, it, you, it, you needed yourself. Yes. Yeah. Thus, I'm doing, continuing uh, my shadow work, continuing to put myself out there again, mm -hmm. you know, restarting the podcast. I'm creating a, a series on everyday shamanism that will be an online course or multiple courses. So that is awesome. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful, and I think what's what i'm noticing i just was uh, was uh thinking about this as you were sharing about when you said shaman heal your heal yourself and i'm going to try to make this make sense i always find it interesting that some of the gifts that emerge or callings that emerge in our lives come from whatever we've dealt with you know that maybe has been a, a source of struggle or pain for us the fact that you have over the course of years morphed into this this healer, I would imagine that, you know, in your past, there was probably sickness or pain or things that helped to lead to this beautiful gift that has blossomed in your life. And, you know, I guess I look at my own life. One of the things that stands out for me is I've experienced a lot of death around me, mm -hmm. like in my family and people that I love very dearly. My mother, she died when I was 16. My uncle, just a lot of people I cared about died. And in recent times, like this mediumship gift has emerged. And so now I find, I find myself being able to communicate with those who are no longer here. Mm. And it's just, it's just funny how, I, like I said, I think it's just funny. Some of the things that we go through, they lead to these amazing gifts 
being birthed in our lives and it makes our journey make more sense in the process. So anyways, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I find it interesting and uh, I actually catch myself giggling when I see so many people that have left the evangelical church Mm-hmm. and are experimenting, embracing, involved with paganism. You know, that's a broad term, but mm-hmm. with earth-based spirituality and practices, they are finding so much meaning. I get a text here. Can you help me with understanding my ancestors? Wow. Uh, can you help me learn how to hear what these crystals I have are trying to tell me? So I'm just allowing myself through the fear <laughs> to put myself out there. Thus, the Everyday Shamanism course, because, yes, I'm a healer. I'm an empath. I'm a seer. Mm-hmm. I'm also a teacher. And yes, I are. love teaching. Mm-hmm. I love how my gifts, as I would name them today, were reflected throughout decades within the Pentecostal charismatic experience that I had. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not different gifts. They're no. the same. They're the same. They're the same because spirit, what we try to call God, as if we can even understand that, birthed those within us for the good of the world. Right. I love what I'm seeing. It gives me hope. Mm-hmm. A dear friend of mine has said, Christianity is my stage, but not my cage. Oh, I like that. When I first heard him say that, that freed me. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I just like the place I'm in. I do like it. I'm enjoying it. I'm just being me. Right. That's all you can be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's all you can be. Yep. Now, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you two years ago. Oh, my. <laughs> the answer might be different. But <laughs> what do you love about yourself? Oh, you know, I think about Michelle Obama, and she wrote this book called Becoming. And so to kind of borrow from that title, I love that I'm becoming I love, I'm starting to, to understand that the journey is just as significant as the arrival. Mm. That can be a very hard lesson to learn because we focus on the end product, but we don't realize it's the journey and the culmination of the things that happen along that journey that make that end goal what it is. So I, I love the fact that I'm becoming, I've gotten comfortable In saying that I'm becoming, I think there's this sense of just saying, you know what, I am. You know, (laughs) I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm yet going. I am. And and not to preach or anything like that, but I, I even go back to, you know, when we read that statement, I am that I am, like in Exodus, there was so much loaded in that. Mm. There was so much, you know, in that I am that I am statement. And I think we have to realize that just because you're not who you're yet going to be, everything is still inside of you already. You are that you are. You're becoming. And there's power in that. That's what I love about myself. Beautiful. (laughs) You were quite a bit more confident uh, this time in answering that question. (laughs) Yeah, because I've had some time to think about it. And and, uh, yeah, so... Well, is there anything else you would like to share at this point? Um, I would just, I guess, if I was going to leave something, um, just to encourage people to don't don't lose your your sweetness in this world. You know, I think about or that that soft, gentle part of you. I always think about this quote that I heard years ago about being like steel wrapped in velvet. Mm-hmm. To have that firm part within on the inside of you that's able to withstand what you have to go through, but not losing that softness, that velvet, that gentleness. That's what I would say. Ah, beautiful. Thank you, Nikita. 
Thank you. I'm, I was very honored to help launch the second season. So thank you so much. You are most welcome. <laughs>